Here at The Sound Effect, our show is all about records. So if you like the record we're talking about this week, go and buy it. Go buy this week's at Zap Records in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, one of the coolest little record shops in Ontario is Zap Records. They'll have everything you have on your wish list. So in the run-up to Record Store Day on April 23rd, be sure to pop by uh, to see them in Kingston and check off anything that's on your wish list. In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper into what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. This is The Sound Effect. have another canadian record picked and another canadian solo album from another successful band thinking like tree phones when he picked uh, martin tielli instead of the real statics right and here we have really successful band metric and uh the side project is uh emily haynes and the soft skeleton the voice of metric her... that's right the voice of metric and um her uh, first solo album uh, from 
2005. Uh, what am I? I really do like the name of the album. Knives don't have your back, uh, which is a lyric I think in the last song of the record. Um, yeah, so I guess probably just like we did with the uh, with that episode, we should probably break down who Emily Haynes is for anyone who doesn't know. Um, uh, Metric were a, uh-huh. a massive band. Are, I mean, I guess are right. They're still still huge. New album a few years ago, but uh, Metric, I think at this time, uh, early two thousands were were absolutely huge um, on the uh, uh, on three really pretty huge records that that came out back to back to back, and then um, during that rise, Emily Haynes goes and releases this um, this solo album. Uh, interestingly enough, not her first solo record she had actually done one before joining metric back in like 1996 uh but it's like just her completely kind of different vibe uh mm-hmm. so i think a lot of people kind of think of this more as the the, the debut album really if you will because yeah. she was the debut album by the the lead singer of metric right with this you know it sounds like there's a band there but it's really just right. her her piano skills shining a little bit more on this album than maybe they, you know, there's cool sounds, synth sounds and stuff on metric albums. But uh, this one is just, you know, hot, that uh, haunting piano sound. Yeah. And uh, yeah, completely different. You're right. And, and, uh, and as I mentioned in our interview today, like I, I, you kind of forget that she's a piano player, that she's a keyboard player because uh, her role really in metric, as much as she does play keyboards, um, I think of her as the front person of the band. Yep. She is the the Axl Rose running back and forth. And and every time I saw her, I was just thought, uh, she's a fantastic front person. Uh, so I think there's an element of that that when you listen to this record, you're like, wow, this is not at all the sound, the tempo, the mood of of metric albums. Not that metric albums are always so happy and and uplifting. There's a they, I mean, they certainly deal with some serious stuff on their uh, on their albums, uh, particularly I think on something like um, Old World Underground, you you get a little bit of that more. Um, but uh, yeah, so so they did have that album, Old World Underground, um, Live It Out, uh, and Grow Up and Blow Away, uh, Fantasies, uh, Synthetica, and Fantasies. Of course, was I think the album that really kind of put them over the top yeah. right as a huge band uh in not just canada but but the world right they really kind of took off at that point so emily haynes uh, born january 25th uh 1974 um kind of makes uh her and i i knew about this and i kind of forgot about it until we start to look at this record uh goes to the topical school of arts where she meets uh amy milan uh from stars and kevin drew if you're looking at kind of canadian indie rock from the early 2000s man you must have really geeked out about the topical school of Arts. yeah that's it that's <laughs> your classic like members of yeah like they were all at the school together like you hear about like the doo-wop bands in the 1950s who were all at the same like two schools in los angeles and they list off everyone who was at that school. This Etobicoke School of Arts almost sounds like it was, you know, way too cool for its own good at the it, time, it was, right? It but, was the Canadian version of fame. I'm going to live 
of fame. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's just funny to now think that the the influence that those bands <clears throat> are going to have on the Canadian music scene in the next, you know, you know, as as they were in high school, they were probably not thinking that was the case, no. but. The influence that they're going to have on Canadian music in the next ten years is going to be massive. Yeah. Um, now I remember, and I and I'm when I think of of this era uh, of sort of early two thousands uh, around this time. What I always remember is just how massive Metric was, like, and, and Broken Social Scene and Stars, like, massive in the fact that. Um, <sighs> As a high school teacher, it's rare for me to find. I, I can't think of the last time my teenage population had been super excited about an album coming out by a band, let alone a Canadian band, let alone a Canadian independent or indie band. It just doesn't. This doesn't happen anymore. Um, even when Arcade Fire broke, people were like, "Who? Who are they?" Like mm. the, people didn't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, there were the, the the cool kids who knew, but generally speaking, most kids didn't. Metric was massive, like and, just like and, I, in yeah. my high school, when the high school I taught at, every kid was super excited <laughs> about uh, those records coming out. Like, and that's almost uncanny now to think back and go, man, they like like for teenagers to be eagerly anticipating a Canadian indie rock record. Um, you know, we, we harken back, I know as a, as a Rush fan, or when you hear people like talk about like, oh, back in the seventies, April Wine played my high school, like these, like, uh, you know, iconic moments of Canadian rock stars, like being like Canadians listening to them. I don't, that doesn't happen as much anymore. Like, uh, you know, I, I just don't see it in the school population that I generally tend to see. And then I think back on it, this was one of those eras where it did happen for a couple of years. And I don't know if it's really happened since. Like every kid I know, generally speaking, is kind of into pretty similar music. I might get the occasional outlier who's into Hozier or uh, you know Inhaler or something like that. But generally speaking, it's not it's not like overwhelming. Whereas at this time, everyone everyone was into to metric. It's- it was it was pretty uncanny. But again, I think I think it was a time. I think it was just a moment there for a couple of years where, you know, kids were wearing like I don't know postal surface shirts and excited about like Death Cab for Cutie, and there was like this moment in about that 2005 2006 era where, yeah, it, it was cool to be in indie rock, and then it kind of. It kind of died off a lot. Well, like bit. everything else, it just got big and big, and and they were like, "Oh, grab this indie band, grab that indie band," and like those bands implode, yeah. and they're just like sophomore slumps and things like that, right? So it's yeah, it's just bound to happen, and yeah. it just it just folds in on itself. And uh, the ones that are good are still around, and the ones that weren't good are off doing whatever. And so that's just that's just music. Right. Well, and I think the the addition was that her as both an American Canadian uh, and having some more connections to New York. Like I know some of that album was recorded at, yeah. at Electric Ladyland Studio. Um, so, and I mean, you had a song like like Help I'm Alive, which just was just a massive hit. So I think there was, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, a bit of a coming out party uh, where they were 
kind of the band to watch there for a few years. And it's interesting where she decided to do these. I'm going to say this album and her next solo album. If you look at them side by side, they, they look similar. Uh, they both have that mm-hmm. similar sound and vibe, and they were done within a year to, uh, year apart. So Live It Out came out in 2005, and Metrics, that's by Metric, and then Metrics' next album wouldn't come out till 2007. And in there, she did two solo albums. And you, yeah. you almost want to know, like, what was going through your head? Because, you know, Old World Underground, great album, Live It Out. You know, they were, they're building their following. They're getting bigger, bigger. And then she just steps aside for a second and just, I, it's like, I just need to do this and then I'm back in with the band. Yeah. And, and she's always said, I mean, I think that that other record was like sort of an EP of outtakes or something yeah. like that, but there's still a, I think there's a uniformity to those two solo records. Um, and yeah, I'm always, I'm, uh, and I think like you said there, Dave, I'm, I'm always sort of intrigued why someone feels, okay, I need to step away from this for a minute do this and what i love is that she stated um no metric is still my number one metric is my is my focus i'm just doing this for a bit and uh which is which is kind of uh i think shows her um where that's coming from i know jimmy shaw who's the guitar player in metric played on the record uh so i think there's a you know an emblem and an, uh pat on the back and hey we've got your back type thing with the record and and the ability to put out the solo album i think also put up by last gang records which is i think the same record label too yeah so there's certainly uh seemed to be some appreciation to what she was doing uh and actually i'm just sort of glancing down now and noticing that uh at least on the second record but it looks to be that um <clears throat> Yeah, the, the the second record, that EP, actually, it was Jimmy who produced it. He was one of the producers on that. So, yeah, it certainly seems to be a lot of respect for what she was trying to do and uh, sort of an I've got your back scenario from yeah, everyone. And they were, still, they were still young enough that, you know, a lot of bands around that time were jumping from band to band to band, right? And this was, they, right. were, they just happened to be a <laughs> little more Especially the broken social scenes. Especially yeah. that group of, of musicians, right? Yeah. New pornographers too, right? Like Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Uh so yeah, this might have just been like the band just saying, Yeah, go do your thing. We'll keep working and when you come when you're ready, let's get all together and you get that kind of sh- you shake out those cobwebs of and and maybe in the back of you know, she needs to get this out that maybe it won't work with the band. I've always wondered that though. It's just like why if you're making this music, why can't you find a spot? in your band like i get it some bands they well that's not our sound but to me mm-hmm. it would make yeah. it just that much more interesting well no that's not your sound but still put it on your album so anyways we could talk a little more about that later yeah well no, but i also wonder if that has something to do with the with the element of like this is my record like this is not you know, and, and not in a greedy, uh, no, my record, but in a, this just has to be for me. Like, I just, I have to do this record for me type type, type deal versus uh, a metric album, which is a cohesive thing. I I think that argument, which I think we also brought up when we talked about to Tree Phones about Martin Tielli's record, uh, we brought up a similar idea. And I think it's, I almost think it makes a little more sense for that record 
than on this one because I think there's points that we said on that record where, yeah, this sounds a little bit more like kind of a Rio song. Whereas there were there were very few here for me that sounded like metric per se. Right. Oh. And then I, I, yeah. I didn't I didn't hear it, but uh I mentioned to you this before, like there's a couple songs where God if they I could totally hear that being slipped into a metric album where it's just this moment of things just change, the scene change, the sounds, the vibe changes, and then you pick right back up with a classic now metric song, right? So, but again, we can discuss that later.
Formerly known as Little Coyote, Toronto's singer-songwriter Tegan Johnston has released two new singles, Blue Monday and Slash to Hunt, Stab to Kill. Her despondent pop music puts her piano and her introspective vocals at its center. Johnston is about to take her melancholy melodies to the States and will be blessing us, hopefully, with an album uh, this year and a follow-up to her 2019 album, The Trouble with Teeth. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Perfect. So, uh, album uh, slated for this year? Yeah, uh, next month, April. Oh, wow. 9th. Yeah. Perfect. It's been decided. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so, one of the things I want to start with is, uh, and I know I didn't include this question when I wrote to you and told you what questions we'd have. So, I'm throwing you a curveball right away. That's okay. Actually, knowing what the questions are going to be like totally makes me more anxious for some reason. <laughs> so, all right. Well, then we'll just make it a great conversation. Um, you mentioned in your bio that you are born, uh, born in the Yukon, raised in South Africa, Spain, Switzerland, West Coast of Canada. How does we talk? We've talked before in this show about music having like a geographical boundaries and and certain places have inserting certain sounds how has that travel affected the music you play yeah um it's a great question i think uh i think moving around a lot has uh left me kind of uh identity less in a lot of ways but also with a really broad identity as well uh which i think affects kind of everything I do. Um, and I, I don't doubt that it's affected, um, what I've created. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite know ever how to answer that question. I think culturally there's no like 
I, I don't, I'm not aware that I've taken influences from anywhere, but I think, you know, I think writing is a lot about taking in the world and, and processing it. So I think having a lot of like really different experiences at a young age uh, really encouraged me to process a lot <laughs> often. And were you traveling around with like a piano? Like how does the piano um, come into this? <laughs> yeah, actually that was, so I played piano since I was five. Uh, so kind of wherever we moved, it was always like priority number one, like go rent a piano and find a new piano teacher. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Uh, um, so we're going to be talking about the record that you picked today, but before we get to that, what other music kind of comes in to influence uh your your sound um yeah i think it changes really often um i think i grew up like listening to a lot of kind of classic rock like beatles and david bowie and like the cars and stuff and i think when i was first writing that's like really what i was looking to for influence so i think like that kind of structure of writing will always stay with me but uh yeah, like singer-songwriters like Elliot Smith or or Emily Haynes, who I think we're going to chat about tonight, or have definitely been a big impact on me. Yeah. 
First off, I'm just, I'm so excited that you said the Cars. Uh, I think that's so cool. I mean, they're one of those bands who people just kind of almost like look over when they're talking oh, about like the, the Cars. Yeah, they're yeah. great. I also yeah. feel, I feel like a band like the Cars, they belong to the world too. Like they were big everywhere. And people, yeah. that's one of those bands that, you know, you, you talk about your love of the Cars. You can start a conversation with someone because there's someone in the room with the same yeah <laughs> it's also just fun it's funny too they were such a weird crossover band right like uh i remember like you'd read heavy metal magazines in the 80s and it would be best guitar players it would be all these hair guys and then led easton and it'd be like who are the metal heads listening to the cars but the cars <laughs> just are one of those odd bands that really connected with people which is so cool yeah all right, let's talk about the Emily Haynes album. So how does how do you find this record? I probably I have my own little narrative in my head about how mm. you've discovered this record. Only <laughs> and only because I'm a high school teacher and oh, yeah. I remember uh that era of like metric being probably the last great huge big Canadian band. Mm-hmm. Like where every kid in my high school uh, where I where I taught was was just consuming metric and loved metric. So I, I'm just wondering, I shouldn't have said all that. I don't want to. I don't no, want I to it. <laughs> so you go ahead, you tell us, how did you come to discover this Emily Haynes record? Um, yeah, it's funny because I actually, I had heard metric before and, and didn't love them. Like I, I do now, but I, when I first heard metric, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and that was kind of it. Um, and then, yeah, in my last year of high school, I was, um recording my first ep with this guy and i would like go after school and and (laughs) in my parents car and i think it was on like the second day of us recording he was like i think he would really really love this album and he gave me like a cd of knives don't have your back um and so i like popped it in my 
parents' car's CD player on the drive home. And I was like, holy shit, like everything that we're recording, I need to like totally rethink because <laughs> this is like the new what I want to be doing. I just like it was the most different thing I had ever heard. Um, and so then for, I guess, like three months of us working on this like EP um, I would just listen to that album, like every drive there and back. And I would like take two hours to drive home because I wanted to just listen to it like twice. And uh, yeah, it's been very important to me since. Was it the, to me, what catches me right away is the piano. Uh, that, yeah. That, the very haunting piano throughout some more melodic than uh, others, some of the songs, but Definitely, it's just kind of piano can be so bright at times, but also so dark. Yeah, I think I had never really heard piano uh, presented in like a cool way uh, that I. So many piano players are like. (laughs) Are you you implying? Are you implying for a minute that Billy Joel is not cool? Is that what you're? uh... It's just like I guess what I mean by that is like it's. It's like so vibey, but it's like piano, you know, it's just like I had never heard piano as the main with with this energy that I, I feel like this record has. Okay. And the uh, it, it, it's funny, your story is almost it's very similar to we interviewed Begonia la, uh, last week and it, it's almost the same story. She oh, yeah? someone said, you need to hear this. Gave her a burnt copy. She said, I went home, put it in my mom's car, and drove around Winnipeg. Listen to it. like It's just hilarious. It's almost the exact same story, (laughs) which I think sort of talks to the era that you guys are coming from, that, like, like that time when you burnt CDs, right? Like, or, like, for us, it would have been mixed tapes. But the whole idea of how you how you get that music is totally. interesting, right? I know. I so wish that I still had a, a CD of Knives Don't Have Your Back. It was like, it would be so amazing. <laughs> what I always remember when it came out was that the cover, because um, I, I remember buying the CD, but I just remember at the time thinking the cover was so weirdly minimalistic and yeah. odd at the yeah. time. Because it looked like a billboard, but it's still weird. It's yeah, it's, yeah. It's just totally its own thing. <laughs> and I do, I did realize that I read that it has something to do with her her dad's album. Her dad made an album that has a similar cover. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, which is yeah, just, that makes sense. Which is very strange and and strange and weird. You talked there about the piano as like, and Dave talked about its hauntingness and it being used as sort of this key instrument now. Uh, you're making music where all of a sudden the piano is kind of really cool again. Like I'm thinking of like Amanda Palmer from the Dresden Dolls, who's yeah. uh, who sort of made this like this primal instrument, uh, almost like Tori Amos did back in the day. Yeah. Um, but then even like people like um, Alison Russell, um, uh, Mitski, uh, yeah. Olivia Rodriguez, even uh, yeah. and even Billie Eilish, I guess, uh, yeah, kind of sure. maybe started this. And it's not like it's like Billy Joel happy piano. It's like all the pianists are playing that haunting, dark music. Yeah. What, what do you, any ideas on why you think that that's happening now and why the um, piano is kind of going through this rebirth? Because of this record. No, I'm just kidding. There you go, Emily Hayes. There you go. Emily Hayes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's 
due time a little bit. Like, I think that the piano has not, like, piano has not seen all it it should in, in music, in mainstream music, especially in my opinion. So I, I don't know why now at all. But. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's so strange to me to think about, like, you know, I, I couldn't help but think, is it like, because suddenly we're really kind of in, we spent so many years kind of in a musical abyss where we didn't share like really great musicians so much as, mm -hmm. you know, very staticky drum beats and we would just talk over them or, or rhyme over them. But now all of a sudden we're maybe experiencing music again. I don't know. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think uh, the one main thing that comes to mind with like most of the artists that you mentioned um, is like, they're all, pretty emotional and like really kind of like storytelling from like a really raw standpoint. And, and I think, I do kind of think that piano offers like a really solid home for that kind of expression. It's just like, so uh, you got the high and the low in one place. And it's just like this really deep space where you can just like, put a story into uh maybe more so than i don't know guitar whatever <laughs> that's that's a beautiful metaphor actually i think that's a really cool metaphor yeah. <laughs> it is funny right like you put anyone on a piano they immediately go to the minor side of it right it's yeah. like they, they're drawn to the dung. like no one's sitting up yeah i mean maybe when you're playing you know um uh chopsticks or something <laughs> at the, when you first learn to do it but other than that people gravitate to those lower ends. Yeah, I've always said I love piano, especially like a real piano, because it feels like a like altar to me more than any other instrument. It's like you can really like sit at it and just like confess in this way that I I don't feel like other instruments have offered me yet. Well, it's it, it's an instrument that it's an instrument that can add add to the minimalism that this album has too, right? Like it's when it's just a voice piano some little effects in the background stuff but it's yeah it just uh you can play as little as you want on a piano and still get this amazing effect right we were talking just before you came on about how there are parts of this record where there's some effects on her voice and there's another couple of parts like uh, made needs a maid where there's it is just her and the piano and it just seems like one kind of overhead mic or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on the, cause you said you were making this as you were working with a producer on your first EP. What do you, does, does that, do you still come back to this record as you're producing, say your new album? I, yeah. I mean, this record, I think like, I think what I made at the time when I was listening to this album, it was like too late a little bit already. Cause I, I like had set out to make this really kind of, like folk <laughs> album because that's what I was listening to in high school and in BC. Um, but I kind of like walked away from everything I did right after really because of this album because it was just like that's that's what I want to be doing. So definitely everything since I heard this record has has been with it in mind and I think probably always will be. The main thing would be I just identify with it the most that I ever have anything. It just like feels the closest to to what uh, I feel I want to be putting out and what makes sense to me. Um, and I think the key element of that is just like the really raw songwriting 
Uh, but that's also like not too direct and not too literal. Like it's really like poetic and, and really like, uh, there's like a lot of room for imagination. Um, but you get it at the same time. And, uh, the piano, I also just like love the sound of piano and Mellotron is just like, I just kind of want to make every song sound like that. <laughs> um, and I love how much of, of that record sounds like that. I love, um, like the percussive elements to being there, but not being like too much of the forefront and, and kind of being so much an instrument like of their own as well. Um, yeah. You know, you said that you still kind of come back to this album. Do you, do you ever talk to a, either a fan or someone else, another musician and and you're both like, Oh yeah, that uh, Emily Haynes album. Is that? Yeah, definitely. I for sure had, a lot of moments with people where it's like I feel like anyone who likes this album like loves it kind of <laughs> like I feel like if you know it you either don't care or you really love it we get that a lot it's kind yeah. of one of the reasons we started this it's always like yeah this is no one else listened to this album but me yeah and I love it you know and yeah. then I realize oh lots of other people did listen to it right and yeah and is yeah, it's still having an impact on you. That's really cool too. Yeah, it's funny. We've been talking. We've we've mentioned this a lot in the last. I would say probably this season more than last season. Um, the word gutsy on on calls by artists. I mean, this is like she is at this point in time like a rock star. Like, and mm -hmm. and I'm thinking for me looking back, uh, she's her and like Broken Social Scene at the time were like the Canadian rock stars. Like prior to the Arcade Fire. And you're like, she kind of goes on, just brings out the solo record. And I think people in their mind have what a solo album is going to sound like. Yeah. And it's not this, right? No. Which is so shocking. I feel like it was just so totally for her, <laughs> which is what makes it so amazing. It's just like so honest. I actually was kind of re-listening to the album today just to be like remembering it because it, it has been like, Probably at least a month since I last listened to it. <laughs> no, yeah. not a month. Oh, not a goodness. month. A whole month. <laughs> a whole month. Been in a good place. Um, <laughs> uh, like an interview just happened to come on afterwards because I, I listened to music on YouTube. Um, and she, I guess, I, I forget what the interviewer asked, but they, I think they asked her like what her reason for making music is. And she said that like her reason for making music is for herself, but her reason for putting music out is for other people and, and that she thinks that it makes a difference. And, and I, yeah, I just thought that was so amazing to hear someone listening who like, she absolutely made an impact on and made a huge difference too. So. So, I mean, a lot of great songs here. What, what, what was your favorite, what's your favorite song on the record? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's funny because I think it's a toss up between the first song and the last song. And I think they're so similar, but they're also so different. Um, but I think if I like had to choose, it would probably be the last song, which is winning. Um, and it's kind of the most like bare bones, just piano and uh, vocals. But the piano is like, so kind of intricate and classical. And she does this thing where she like, like skips the octave a bunch at the end and it's it's just like really beautiful when you're re when you're recording and you and you just want to go i want to do that 
but is it oh uh, for is it too sure close? after i listened to this album like i was like i'm gonna write like skip it. <laughs> like i tried everything <laughs> afterwards for sure but it's like doing that you find your own voice too right yeah definitely yeah and you, yeah, you feel are you getting there do you feel it's it's there or it's like no still searching um I guess I hope that I'm I'm never there. I don't know because it's probably always changing, and I don't. I yeah, I don't even. I don't really know. Um, but I think it's the like the pursuit of it that matters. So, yeah. How is it feeling in comparison to the this time uh, in 2019 releasing that record compared to releasing this record? Is there is there more trepidation, more confidence, or? Um, yeah. So I think the one that you're talking about, uh, the like full length actually was 2017. Um, 2017, my apologies. Yeah. So yeah, definitely like a lot has changed since then. Um, I'd say like the most major thing for me would be, I think back then I was like really, really concerned about like approval of other people more so. And it definitely affected, I think what I was able to put out a lot and I was kind of playing with a band. So I didn't really have as much say in, in what was happening. Um, so yeah, I think this album is like the most alone I've ever been in making something uh, like very few people have been involved and I don't have a label anymore or anything. So I think that that is kind of the main difference. I think it's like the most, the most of myself that I've, ever put into something that's being put out uh would you say that's also like more decisions you made on your own too yeah absolutely yeah right and is that how does that feel is it overwhelming at the start Uh, yeah it's a lot but it feels much better overall because it's like at the end of the day you have no one to like blame or i don't know like talk anything over with it's just kind of like well this is my thing and and then it's either good or bad or whatever <laughs> yeah i just yeah. asking that because like emily haynes must have gone through the same thing right like okay i don't have these other three dudes yeah you can't fall back on on anything there's no one to hide behind at yeah. all and it's good yeah. and bad too like you know metric is metric because of the four of them putting for this, sure putting this music together and making those decisions together and sometimes this thing you wanted to do didn't make the cut of this yeah but now but you know when you get in there and your solo is like, ooh, maybe there's a reason some of my stuff didn't make it. And uh, like any second guessing, okay. any like, ooh, like, should we do this or is that too much? Yeah, it's much more vulnerable. There's no one there's no one to fall back on it at all. But I think I mean, obviously, that's that's what I really love in music and that's what I really want from it. So, yeah, for me to be doing that is is definitely where I want to be. It's it's almost like a cyclical relationship, right? You you want that that isolation and that feeling because you know it creates great art, yeah, and that people are going to connect to it. But it also means the pressure on you to to do it, right? It's a it's a, it's yeah. a strange sort of you know cyclical. No, I'm not meaning to make we're not meaning to make you anxious like before your album comes out or anything. What are you doing? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Um. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't help but notice, too, on Winning and a couple of other songs. Um, and it might be bad of me, but when you first hear, again, I think 
solo record, and I think solo record from lead singer. Yeah. You kind of go, okay, let's see what we get here. And I was actually, when I listened to this again, because unlike you who had just listened to it a month ago, <laughs> despite the fact that this is on my CD rack down the stairs, I haven't listened yeah. to this album in probably eight, ten years. Oh, wow. And yeah, so to listen to it again. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> to listen to it with, with fresh ears, I was like, wow, she really is a, is a great pianist. And I think you kind of forget that because... Yeah. As much as she plays the keyboards with uh, with Metric, she is the focus as the singer. Yeah. Not, not so much the keys, right? Totally. And I mean, I think another huge thing that doesn't get credited when people think of like Metric and, and Emily Haynes is uh, she's an amazing poet. Like, I think the poetry and the writing on this record for me are, are unparalleled by like anyone else. And, and I, yeah, I think there's... If you were to just know metric, you would you would never know that. Yeah, it's uh, when you mentioned this record to me online, I was I was literally sitting in my van when I got the message, and you said, oh, "I'll pick this record." Uh, yeah, and then I immediately sang in my head, uh, "My babe says the lonesome lows don't just go away overnight." That line oh, just came right oh, back God. to me in yeah. a second, and it was like the rest of the album couldn't remember a thing from, but that yeah. one line, it was just like that's just a great line. Like it's, it's, and then the line, the following line with that is uh, what the, the, about the heights don't go away overnight. Like it's just a sweet line. And again, I think it taps into what you were talking about with the piano, being able to get um, the the dark and the light and kind of everything together. Totally. And it, and it's, it is strange to, to think that you're, you're saying here, the influence this had on you and as we talked earlier about like piano and that kind of melancholy piano sound that a lot of people are doing, I mean, you're right. Like this is a dark sounding record, not just the piano, but lyrically too. Yeah. Oh, the lyrics are super, it's, it's exceptionally dark and, and vulnerable and raw. Yeah. yeah I want to, I did want to ask about the poetry side of things. Like how does that affect when you just, you're not even thinking of the music, like here are the words I'm trying to get out. Oh, totally. I mean, I think that like that is such a huge thing for me of of what matters to me in music. I think a lot. I mean, I I love like a ton of of happy music for sure, but I that's definitely not what I've ever been able to write, but I think like yeah, I mean, at the point that I listened to this record, I felt like it would like totally save my life. Like I was like in a really dark place and uh just to just to have someone else like show that to me, like a stranger offering me their like utmost pain just was like, Oh, the world is connected and and I'm not alone in whatever I'm dealing with. And I think, yeah, just like that power of music is, has always been what I come back to is like what I think I can sometimes maybe do. And, and what I think is at least important to do of just like, showing your feelings to other people and like showing your experience so, so that they can see it. Awesome. I, I remember reading a couple of years ago that uh, a study that showed that people who listen to do depressing music are actually able to deal with a lot of the things that life throws at them more because they just, and the, and the connect, they weren't sure where the connection lay at the time. But I just remember thinking, like, yeah, that there's some kind of sense to that, and and I think you really, uh, the, the way you put it there was nice that you 
you can kind of now feel, oh, someone understands me, someone gets me, yeah, and I I'm not alone, kind of in this, right? Well, that's totally. rock. And, that's rock and roll. That's music. Yeah, right? that's yeah. what it is. It's <laughs> like all art, I think, is is important because you the human experience is shared and like, you know, brought back to you and you know that you're, you're with other people. In it. And I think like, even that's why we like talk to friends or family about what we're feeling. Cause it's like, you bounce it off of someone else and you can understand it better when it's not just in you. And yeah, I think it's, it's like, it's so important for sure. And at least, yeah, it's definitely been super important to me. Yeah. It's uh well, and, and even like, now I'm starting to think about what we talked about earlier with piano players and the, the idea that, I mean, we're going through a bit of a mental health crisis in, in, in the world right now. Yeah. And, and maybe there's something to collectively. Yeah. Collectively. Right. And maybe there's like a, uh, there's something to that where, you know, a a teenager listening to, you know, whoever yourself, Billie Eilish uh, can connect and kind of go, wow. Like, yeah, this person kind of gets me. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, and again, I think we, Dave and I talk about this a lot on the show. Some people listen to music and hear the music first and take some 10 listens before they get to those lyrics. Yeah. I also wonder if with the piano, that's a quicker, a quicker, uh, you know, stream because there's, you don't have to get through all the music. Yeah, you just have to get through the piano and the vocal, right? Totally. I think even just like the frequency that it's at, like, lends itself more to like the vocals coming through uh, in a different way.
So let me let me start with after listening to this record, this this quote from High Fidelity. As soon as I was listening to this, okay. I, like this this quote comes to mind. What came first, the music or the misery? Did I listen to the music because I was miserable, <laughs> or was I miserable because I listened to the music? And that's a that's a great and, line. Uh, <laughs> a great yeah. And yeah, so I'm gonna say. What we talked about Emily before is like she took this year off to do this her what she needed to do, and and what I what I said I believe what I said like the the piano has this haunting sound in it, and mm-hmm. you know and she's a fantastic piano player and her words go with the music well. It's a nice atmosphere in there. It just for me uh, there was only one or two high points. And I mentioned to you before that, God, it, those two or three songs, why wouldn't you just sneak those into a metric album? It would have just helped the dynamic of an album. I could just, that that moment of like catching your breath in an album, you know, like a lot of metric songs, a little mm-hmm. more upbeat, a little faster. And then, then you just drop this dead song in the middle. And uh, to me, it would have had such an impact as opposed to 45 minutes of what I'm going to say pretty much the same thing. 
different a lot of a lot of to me a lot of I, I thought a lot of the songs sounded similar started similar mm-hmm. um you know each each one kind of got its own voice quote unquote after after a while um but yeah my first listen through i was just like eh, i'm i'm not getting you're getting that where you can't remember well, which shit which song was that because this one sounded like this one and this one right. sounded like that so yeah uh it's to me it was not uh there was moments of brilliance but not enough to keep me listening to this album um cool sounds and stuff but a little hollow so yeah so for for me i i enjoyed going back because i haven't listened to this record in eight years and like i said in the interview i I have it down the stairs so for me it was to kind of pull it out and listen again and uh and like i said like dr blind to me that song just uh, i i know that song the lyrics really just i remember those uh i think our hell is a great opening track i think it's a really strong opening track um there's certainly for me it's an album and again this makes me think about not every album is for everyone you know what i mean like oh yeah i'm not i don't think i'm supposed to go and as a 40 you know eight-year-old man i don't think i'm supposed to go and really kind of connect with you know, a Billie Eilish record. I just don't think I'm not the target audience there. And I, and I don't know if I was the target audience for this record at the time or even now. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you hear someone like Tegan speak there and, and really feel that, yeah, this album spoke to me at the time. And it's like, that's me. Is so super cool. And I love hearing that from people oh, because, yeah. you know, there's sometimes albums where I'm like, I don't, yeah, that just didn't speak to me. And for me, I think that's how I was with this record. Um, I, I like the first two songs. Uh, I liked, um, uh, I really liked winning too. That was, that, that I thought was great. Uh, one thing I did appreciate on the record though, was the, um, uh, I thought she was having fun with the production. And I think it's, it seems weird to say that when you're talking about an album that maybe isn't necessarily the word fun might be <laughs> to describe it, but I, w- um, I wouldn't say it's, 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 it's overly productive deuce too like like no i I can almost hear it's just a couple microphones in a room with the piano and yes yes and then you know my vocal mic oh yeah in a dark room i can see the atmosphere you know i've seen enough stevie nicks documentaries to know how this song would be made (laughs) (laughs) i and i like that like with a with a maid need a maid i I like the distance in the in the microphone it just literally sounded like there was a microphone above but then um I, I can't remember the song that comes afterwards. It might be reading Regain Bed, where there's like a, it almost sounds like a twinning on the on the vocal lead, uh, where it's just like, yeah, that wasn't there on the rest of the record. So there's a part of me, uh, I wasn't surprised to see that Emily Haynes was the producer because it's like she's just kind of she's a she's not that's not her gig. Uh, but yet she's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to produce this record and, and kind of play around with sounds, which I, again, you and I, and I mentioned this in the interview, you and I have used this word challenging, I think more this year than any other year. And I think it's really cool that she, she seemed like this was just a project she wanted to do, get out there and challenge herself with. So I'm kind of going to, to a certain extent, disagree with the comment about, uh, 
some songs on a metric record. Yeah, as much as I think it'd be kind of cool to hear metric do Dr. Blind or or I think uh, you know um, you know uh, maybe uh, mostly waving, uh, I still think this uh, a, I, I think this had to be her. She it's had, a personal album. It's a very personal out, you know? album. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's that's just my take on it. It's funny when you say she produced it. It's like, well, hats off to you because now you, a lot of artists don't know shit about how to make music, right? They just walk into the studio with their gear and they play, and someone else records it and mixes it. She obviously wanted to sit down and learn this, like maybe at this point she's thinking, holy crap, we might actually have a little career going here after two albums well-received, right? And so I want to learn a bit more about this. So and <laughs> gutsy, like we said, to and challenging to accept the role of I'm going to make this solo album on my own, produce it myself uh, with very little help, and it's just going to be a very personal project and between metric albums, which is which is great to me that's that's exciting and as uh, i respect that for an artist to do for sure it, it's funny i think we've both been maybe tempered a little bit by the by this by doing this show right and i know i've certainly felt the i need to give albums sometimes a, a little more of a chance to kind of appreciate a when this was being done b who's doing it um, what they're trying to do on it and who the target audience is, right? And realizing, oh, okay, there's a reason why I might not like this record, right? There's a reason why. And I, uh, and again, not that I don't like this record. I think it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a well-made record. I just, yeah, I just, there's, there's songs that I think are stronger than others. And for me, um, yeah, I'm probably going to, you know, throw on, you know, fantasies or, hmm. Uh, you know, you know something like that over this most of the time, uh, but it does. It it really did get me to think a little bit more about uh, again the 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 space on a record, right? She doesn't she doesn't come. It, as I was listening to this, it was funny. I was listening to this record, uh, Tegan Johnson's uh, new singles, and also at the same time uh, on that playlist, I had the newest Florence and the Machine song. And it was intriguing to kind of listen to them back to back and realize that on the new Florence song, there's a lot of space allowed, which hasn't always been her forte, right? It's always been that bombasticness. Right. Uh, so I think there's also something just intriguing about space being on a record and giving an artist uh, space and time to play uh, and time to just be be with them and their instrument. Uh, and I think that's that that is a nice thing about this record. I think if um, as much as yeah, maybe this isn't geared to me. If I knew someone who was like really into, uh, you know, melancholy piano music, I'd be saying, hey, here's a record you probably should check out. And you're probably going to it's probably going to speak to you more than it spoke to me. You know, someone to make a, an album where a lot of what you said comes with maturity as an artist, right? You know, oh, absolutely. You know when to hold back or you know when yeah. to lay into it a bit more. And so to make an album like this, I don't know if it was in- incredibly gutsy or incredibly naive or both. <laughs> yeah, or both, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and I think a lot of the time the the great records come from a place of naivety, right? Oh, like, yeah. Of, yeah, like that's where a lot of great records are going to come from, right? I'm, I, it, it did make me think um, of it would be. I'm just going to try and bring it up here just to see, but yeah, it would be interesting. I think to go back and try and listen to that very, very first uh, record that is not on any streaming platforms just to see what it would sound like, right? To see what it's like. And, and but again, it's funny to think, we, we talked about stars, we talked about um, Broken Social Scene and Metric here. Uh, it's intriguing to think that like Broken Social Scene, all of those people had solo records. Like they were all off doing their own thing. New Pornographers was the same, right? I mean, they're still going off and making their own records and not bringing them... Like Destroyer is saying, yeah, I've got this song, but the rest of these I'm keeping for my record. Uh, but even Jason Collette with uh, Broken Social Scene or Amy Milan, really, uh, you know, released her her album, her solo album around this same time too, right? So it's intriguing to look at how, uh, even with all this, these great artists and, and these great bands, they're still kind of saying, look, I need to find my own voice here, and and you. Yeah, I wonder if something about the massiveness of who they were at that point, the popularity of the bands was pushing them to say, I got to tap into who I am. I got to take a step back from yeah. being the it band to to kind of revisit myself for a bit and then come back to the it band. I do I do find it interesting when you say that like her next solo album wouldn't happen for another 10 years. Right, <clears throat> right. Choir of the Mind came out in 2017. Uh, so she had gone through a plethora of experiences with metric, both album touring and public facing, right? Right. So, yeah, it's it. it at some moment, it, you just got to step away again and do something on your own. And Choir of the Mind doesn't sound like Knives, but uh, just different different places in time, different places in her life. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's the whole thing is to me, it's the whole dynamic of a band when a member steps away and needs to make a solo album. You know, uh, like we keep, keep bringing up Martin Tielli. Right. I still don't like I still think some of that music could have been great Rio's songs. Yeah. It's like, why didn't you just bring this to the Ritos? It would have been fine. But they got to step off on their own and do their own thing and try it. You know, and maybe they're sick of their band, <laughs> right? It's yeah. like, screw this. But it, but it's funny. I don't think they are because they all came back to them, right? Like, I mean, again, uh, well, you know where your you know I mean, where your bread is when, buttered. Yeah, I mean, but if you think about like when we saw, I mean, we, you and I, have, you know, seen Metric a couple of times. I'm uh, sorry, not Metric. Uh, we've seen Memphis a couple of times. Yeah. Who, uh, it's a side project of Torque from Stars. Uh, I mean, we've interviewed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, someone just at the end of last uh, last year, um, uh, Stephen Ramsey from um, Light Conductor, and that that's a side project of his main band, right? right. So uh, I think there's an interesting thing here. I think if you're probably an artist, you need those outlets, right? You need to say, yeah. And, th and they probably see something more than you and I see, right? They probably see something and say, yeah, this just doesn't match. This this. There right. might be one or two things I'm taking from my band and putting into this, but nah, 
this album has to be on its own. Uh, so this is going to be a weird moment in this podcast because uh, this is the first time in the podcast I'm going to bring up King Crimson and not you. Yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but if you think about like King Crimson, I mean, you have these different eras of King Crimson yep. where um, it's almost not the same band. Oh, no. Yeah, I was sure. definitely not the same band. Uh, their sound is different. What they're going for is different. Um, the the influences that they're bringing onto the record are completely different. So really, if you're listening to 1969's, you know, King Crimson album, and you're listening to 1981's um, Discipline d- d- Discipline album, yeah. they are night and day from each other yeah. in, in many ways, right? So you have a guy there <laughs> who is saying, "We're going to keep the name. We're going to keep everything. We're going to do everything in house." <laughs> And yet it's so different. Yeah. And then you have other people who are saying, now, you know, that, that whole broken, I, I hate calling it the broken social scene family, but that broken social scene metric stars, Jason Collette family thing, where they can go off and do their own thing and come back. They're always a welcome back. Like the, 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 the prodigal son returns, yeah. right? They always get to come back home uh, at any point during any of these experiences. It's also sickening that those people have so much talent and, <laughs> and, and you know, art in them that they, I'm like, oh, okay, I just recorded an, an album with these guys, but now I got to go make my own because oh, like, yeah. I've just got this oh. stuff I want to write and it's just out and I got to get it out and then, then I'll go on tour and we'll write another, oh, me and this person are going to do an art uh, uh, project now and it's just, like I say, it's it's oh, sickening. It's, you, yeah, God, it's sickening. I mean, the, 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 it's amazingly true. Well, and the fact that they'll just go, well, and by the way, if you need someone to play guitar for a track or two, I'm there. Oh, yeah, yeah, come on over. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just such a great, you know what? We It's it's such a beautifully, I mean this in the most, like, it, 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 it's all together, and they're all together, and you, you think... God, it's in such incestuous way. But it's incestuous, <laughs> like, like in the in like yeah, in a different meaning of that word. Maybe we wanted that part too. But <laughs> I just think it's it's so cool to see that uh, th- that that blossoming from all those amazing artists. So they're allowed to go and do this. I just think it's is super cool. Well, like it's, I mentioned uh, in the earlier that see. that period was so vibrant in that whole indie oh. scene and all these bands and they were coming out and there were no rules like yeah, yeah. I, i'm gonna be i'm gonna do a solo album and go out and hang out with these guys then go right. on tour with them and play an album and it just didn't matter yeah because right. the music was there and yeah i want to get that excitement back yeah that's but, true enough so. true enough yeah it's a it, it's really cool to see it's uh and again, whether or not uh, you know we've sold you on the record or not, sort of secondary. I think probably the one thing we can agree on is that uh, um, it's cool when an artist can can be so diverse in what they're thinking and the writing, and they can kind of go and do this. And I think, as Tegan mentioned in her part of the interview, it's just so cool to see how that influence is seen years later. Right on a musician, right, Absolutely. and how it shapes their life. That's so cool. And it's just cool that this solo album influenced someone else, and it wasn't a metric album. She wasn't even a metric fan, really. Yeah, that was interesting. Eh? I thought that yeah. was really cool. So, so what was your uh, what was your favorite song on the album? Um, so I I always think it's funny when we when my favorite song is um 
is the artist's favorite song because you're kind of like, oh, I don't. Uh, but I really, uh, I think probably my favorite song. I, I like winning, so that was up there, and that was my that was uh, our guest pick. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate to go with the hit, but <laughs> Doctor Blind to me, the just the the lines of that, the first two lines of that song are, are spectacular. Yeah. Uh, I love the melody to it, so that one's probably is probably my pick. Was that the one? You you? S- was that the one you said like when? Yeah, you... I quoted in the interview. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the first two lines of that that song are just spectacular, and that came to you. That came to you like years later when you. Yeah. You oh, just, I completely remembered it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, to me, is the the song after that. It's uh, this is this was the one like oh, this would be a perfect song on a metric album just to kind of split up the album a little bit. Uh, Crowd surf off a cliff. I think is just so cool. Yeah. You know, the the piano instead of more melodic and and. Uh, chord progressions and things like that. It was just this kind of repetitive type thing, and her voice haunting, kind of a not noisy background, but there's almost a feeling there's more going on there that you can't quite hear, mm-hmm. but there's something there, and just haunting lyrics too, and like just the line crowd surfing off a cliff. I think is a is a great great title. So. That, yeah, She's got that, some really nice. There's yeah. some really nice imagery throughout the record of like little lines that, to me, um, come across as like, yeah, that's just a really cool image you put in my head. I mean, I think uh, Made Needs a Made. There's a, a lot of that too. Where and maybe I paid a little more attention because of the whole Neil Young thing, but I was certainly going, yeah. There's just some imagery on the record and lines on the record that I think uh, really shows that. She was a she's a she's a heck of a lyricist, and I think it, that that comes across for sure. In the lack of light, hollow sea, poison beaches, limousines, toothless dentists, cops that kill. My baby's got the lonesome lows. Don't quite go away overnight. Dark
This episode, by the way, has been brought to you again by our friends at Zap Records. So if you want to hear uh, this uh, record by Emily Haynes, go out and buy it at Zap Records in Kingston. We also want to thank Wadi for letting us use his song In Our In My Heart as our theme song. And thanks to Tegan Johnston for joining us this week. Uh, remember to check out her songs and her album when it drops at the end of next month. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's show, please share it on social media and let us know what you think. We love hearing from you. And remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening.